0: Well, hey, my name is Tyler Durham, and uh, as Ben said, I'm one of the young adult pastors here at Christ Chapel, and uh, it's a privilege to be here with you guys um, each and every week. I love the team that I work with. I love the ministry that God's allowed me to be a part of, and uh, I hope that tonight's a blessing for you. And so if you're a guest, once again, um, we'd love to help you get connected and really the best way to do that, unfortunately, is to fill out these, these silly cards. But that helps us get you plugged into the system and you get to find out about social events and mission trips and serve projects in the community. And so if you'll just do that before you leave, we have some boxes outside and you can just place that in the box on your way out. And that'll really help us get you in the loop. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4. Um, for those of you who are new, we're going through verse by verse through the whole Gospel of Luke, which I'm super excited about. Luke chapter 4, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. It's in the New Testament. And if you don't have a Bible and you don't want to use your phone, we have Bibles right under your seat. And I think it's 859, is that right? So 859 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 4. Uh, let me pray for us as we jump in. Father God, I thank you for, um, like I just said, the privilege to be a part of an amazing team of godly people that you have called to invest their lives right now at this stage in their life with young adults and in the lives of young adults. What an awesome responsibility as we see Fort Worth fill up with young adults each and every year through our universities and through uh, people moving in for careers and Postgraduate graduate school, and all the different things that Fort Worth has that are bringing young adults into our city, Father, you have placed us in a perfect spot, and I pray that you would use this, this group of people to make an impact in the city of Fort Worth, not just to see people from other churches start to come to this cool event on Wednesday nights, but to see the city of Fort Worth change, and to see people who do not know you come to faith in you. And so I pray, Father, tonight as we preach the word, as we look at the gospel of Luke that you inspired, that we would be motivated to take this good news of the gospel that we're going to talk about tonight to the ends of the earth, starting with the city of Fort Worth. Lord, use me tonight. I am an inadequate an, an vessel that for whatever reason you've chosen to use to preach your word. And so I pray that your, your word and your son Jesus would look great tonight and that I would decrease and that people would leave here thinking what an amazing Savior that we serve. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So when I was 25 years old, I was a, uh, this is surprising for some of you, I was a children's pastor at a church in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, this wasn't like 15 to 20 kids, this was like 200 kids. And I would do a worship service every Sunday morning where I had to dance around and dog and pony show balloons and just goofy stuff every Sunday morning. But I, I was an interim children's pastor at a church in Shreveport, Louisiana. I knew it wasn't a permanent thing for me. I knew it was just a temporary calling that God had placed on my life, but I knew there was other places God wanted me to go. And at the time, I came upon a fork in the road. You know what I'm talking about? Like that point where if I go one direction, it's going to dramatically change the rest of my life. I can't ever go back. It'll never be the same. And if I go this other direction, it's a totally different way and a totally different trajectory in my life. I was at this fork in the road at 25 years old and I was single. And, and one option was to go to Dallas, Texas. I had this opportunity to be the singles pastor at First Baptist Dallas, which was, which was really cool. Fort Worth's my hometown. And I'd been in Louisiana for seven years. I love Louisiana. I love Cajun food, but I really love Texas and I really love Fort Worth. And so the thought about getting closer to home and closer to where I love was like, this is perfect and First Baptist Dallas is right in the middle, the heart of uptown Dallas, Texas. And there's a ton of singles running around. And I'll be the singles pastor, and I think there's a good chance maybe that I'll find my spouse to get married. And, and I wanted to get married, and that's not the whole reason I wanted to take that job. I felt God's calling on my life as well. But I wanted to find a spouse, and I thought this was the direction. Obviously, this is where God wanted me to go. And then the other fork in the road was to go to a little place called Natchitoches, Louisiana. Um, I went to school at Northwestern State in Natchitoches, Louisiana. Hadn't been back there in a long time. If you don't know, Natchitoches has a bunch of people that are older than dirt, who like the movie Steel Magnolia and live in one of those homes. But they also have college students. Young 18 year old, 19 year old, 20 year old people. I was a 25 year old single pastor and that wasn't a place that I thought this is a great chance for me to find my spouse. And so there's this fork in the road and I thought, man, I'd love to work for FCA in Natchitoches Fellowship of Christian Athletes. That was the opportunity. But man, it doesn't look very good for me to find a spouse there. And that's going to be tough. And maybe I'm going to have to put that off for long term down the road. And and that was going to be tough. But man, Dallas, this is where God's calling me. And I, I love this direction. And I was leaning this direction. And I went for an interview at First Baptist Dallas right in the heart of downtown. And it was a great interview. Things went well. And I thought, I've got this. i got my plan B, but this is where I want to be. And so my buddy who got me the interview said, man, you did great. I think everything's thumbs up. And then I got a phone call, and they had some change in leadership structure at the very top. And the leaders in that church thought, this is not financially what we want to invest in this year. No singles pastor for another year. The door completely shut in a moment. I was heading to Natchitoches, Louisiana as an FCA director. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is is great. I, I love sports and I love ministry. This is going to be amazing, but I'm just going to have to, I'm just going to, have to take one for the team and, and, and marriage will be something way off in the distance and I'll just have to accept that. And here's the crazy thing that happened. I kid you not, within six to seven months I found the woman of my dreams. And she wasn't a native Cajun. You know, I love Cajuns. I love Cajun food, but my wife wasn't a native Cajun. My wife's name was Ariani, and I've got a picture of her up here. That's my beautiful bride, and she's Brazilian, so she has this cute little accent. She plays volleyball, Division One volleyball, and, and I just thought, how could this ever have happened in Natchitoches, Louisiana? I would have never dreamed of it. Look at my hair, too. That's, that's terrible. Yeah, that's... That's embarrassing, but she's got a beautiful smile. But anyways, I I, I couldn't believe it happened there. I would have never guessed if somebody said you got two options. You can go back to Natchitoches. You can go to Dallas. Which place do you think you're more likely to get married? I would say Dallas a hundred million times. But what I figured out is that God's grace often shows up in unexpected places. The grace of God often shows up in places that you would never imagine. And I started thinking about it. The scriptures are filled with places where God's grace shows up, and you would never dream of it showing up in those places. I think back in the Old Testament, Abraham. We all know Abraham after reading the whole story, but at the beginning of the story, and for those of you who don't know, Abram was just a pagan guy who wasn't, there was no nation of Israel, there was no people of God. God just snatched this guy named Abram out of this pagan culture and said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my follower and I'm going to bless the whole world through your offspring. No one would have ever dreamed of it. Abraham was like a hundred years old at the time. They didn't think there was any way his wife could get pregnant. But God's grace shows up in unexpected places and Abraham is our forefather of the faith. And then you look at the, the, the life of Moses and the nation of Israel. They were in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years and they thought we are hopelessly enslaved forever. And they cried out to God and they thought, God, I thought you were our God and that you had a plan for us. And one day God shows up and he calls Moses out. Moses who killed a man who was hiding in the desert. And he said, Moses, I'm going to use you. And Moses like, I stutter. How could you possibly use me? And God used Moses to deliver this people out of slavery into the promised land God showed up in an unexpected place in the life of Moses and in the people of Israel. And then one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is about a prostitute named Rahab. The Israelites had, had been delivered. They, they left bondage and crossed the Red Sea... And they were waiting to inherit the promised land. And Joshua was the leader at the time. Moses had died. Joshua was the leader. And Joshua sent spies into the promised land to scout out a city called Jericho, a very strong, fortified city. And so the scouts got into the city, and all of a sudden people found out they were there, and they were in big trouble. And ironically, and I don't want to get into the details of why, but they chose to spend the night at a prostitute's house, I don't know why that is, but they did. And this prostitute named Rahab believed in the God of the Old Testament, believed in the God of Israel, and she hid the spies from the king, and she misdirected the king and and got them free. And they said, because of your faith in our God, we're going to deliver you when we destroy this city. Who would have imagined that God's grace would show up in a, in, a, in a whorehouse with a prostitute named Rahab, who actually is in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. King David, the youngest of eight brothers, he was, he was the little guy who was a shepherd, and, and his, his dad didn't even bring him in to, to be in the, the lineup to be the next king. He, he, he brought in all the other brothers, and Samuel said, are you missing a son? He's like, yeah, David, but he's just a shepherd. He's a young boy, probably 14. Well, I want to see David. And he sees David and he says, David, you're going to be the next king. God wants to make you the next king. God's grace shows up in unexpected places. And the cool thing is we've already seen in Luke that God's grace has shown up in this little boy in a manger named Jesus Christ. Who would have ever imagined that the king of the universe who would reign and rule over all creation, would be born in a manger, in a dirty, filthy manger, and that would be the king, the Messiah that the Old Testament promised. No one would dream of that. And so we're going to see in this passage in Luke chapter 4 that God still is showing up in unexpected places in the life of Jesus. And so I want to look at his ministry and show you just a few things from this passage about how God works and who God works with. So let's jump in. So in verse 14, it just starts off, we we heard last week from Josh, if you were here, Josh Story preached an amazing sermon that, that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and he overcame the temptation and God comforted him. And it says that Jesus returned in the power of the spirit. And you're going to hear about that in a moment, but he was in the power of the spirit. And he returned to Galilee, this this Sea of Galilee with some towns around the the, the sea that were small towns. And that's where Jesus started his ministry. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, including Nazareth. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Jesus was a rock star. Jesus started getting this reputation of being a man of God and a prophet. And they're like, man, this guy's doing some amazing things. And words started getting out. And what he was doing was he was going into synagogue and synagogue and synagogue, which each town had. And he would go into the synagogue and he would teach and preach. And people were blown away at this guy. Like, wow, there's something different about this guy. And so in verse 16, it says he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. I talked to one of you guys last week who's going back to their hometown for their ten-year reunion, and that can be a scary thing. I remember doing that and thinking, "Man, I, you know, what's it going to be like? Is it going to be awkward?" And and Jesus is going back to his hometown for the first time, and they've heard all these things about his reputation, and so they're excited. And Jesus comes, and and this hometown, Nazareth, is a town of about the scholars say 125 to maybe 350 people. Think about that. 125 to maybe 300 people. Jesus spent 30 years growing up in that town as a carpenter. Everyone knew Jesus. All of his neighbors and friends, they all knew Jesus. We've heard about these things, but he's going to come do it in our town. Holy cow, this is going to be amazing. And so what happens? This is so cool. I, just, I see the image in my mind of what happens. So... As was his custom, we just heard he goes to the synagogues in the different towns and cities. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So these synagogues didn't have like full-time preachers. They had traveling preachers that would come in and they would be the the preacher for the day. And this was Jesus' day. So Jesus stood up to read and normally they'd have prayers and they'd have... Um, resuscitations of different uh, beatitudes and prayers and they read from the Old Testament, they read from the prophets and so Jesus gets up and he has the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Very important. It was given to him, he unrolled the scroll, I can just imagine this scroll that's unrolled. We actually have a copy of the whole book of Isaiah. From like the first or second century. I can't remember exactly when it was. But it's one of the earliest recorded manuscripts that we have. The full manuscript of Isaiah. And I can just imagine him unrolling the scroll. And look at the passage he reads from. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Isaiah 61. I don't want you to turn there. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And side note, the rest of that year of the Lord's favor, it also says to proclaim the year of God's vengeance and he leaves that out of the sermon or out of the reading. And let me tell you why, real quick. The reason he left that out is because Jesus came originally not to bring vengeance and judgment, but to bring mercy and grace We're living in a time of mercy and grace where Jesus is extending his arms and saying, I am here to save you and to renew you and to change you. This is not the time for judgment that's in the future. And so he focused on the fact that this is the year of the Lord's grace. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And this is so cool. I'm sure there was a a hushed silence in that synagogue which was probably packed to the brim, one of their hometown guys. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And they're wondering, what you do is you sit down and then you talk about what that scripture means. Just like I'm doing now, I'm trying to explain to you what the scripture means. Jesus is about to explain what that passage in Isaiah 61 means. And here's how he explains it. This is, this is amazing. He says this. Today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What does he mean by that? He just talked about this, this person, this Savior, this Messiah that was going to come and preach good news to the poor, to the oppressed, to the weary, to the rundown, to the broken, to the sinful. It was going to set them free from the bondage to sin. And he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This guy who grew up in the city of Nazareth and spent 30 years there before he started his three-year ministry, who all of them knew, sat down and said, guess what? This passage is about me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that Isaiah was pointing to. I'm the one that the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was pointing to. I'm the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. I'm the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm the Savior of all people. I am the Messiah. You're looking at him right now. Can you imagine what the hometown folks were thinking? And in verse 22 it says, And all spoke well of him and marveled at all the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. They were mesmerized by what he was saying. But then this is interesting and this is very sad. They didn't stop there. If you're following along, look what it says at the end of verse 22. So they said, wow, this is pretty cool. And then they said, but this is, isn't this Joseph's son? Wait a minute. This, whoa, this is amazing. We've heard stories about Jesus. He's doing miracles in Galilee, and now he's saying that I'm the promised Messiah. But this is crazy. This is Joseph's son. This is the kid who had brothers and sisters that were playing out in the street in front of our house and goofing around and, and this is the, the guy who became a carpenter that made my, my furniture and was a blue collar guy with calloused hands and, and he's one of us. How on earth could this be the Messiah? And the people began to doubt and they didn't believe what he said. In Mark chapter 6, another gospel, Mark says of Jesus that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Jesus couldn't believe it. After all the things he'd done and after all of the confirmations of his power and authority, his own people rejected him and said, No, this couldn't be. This is just Joseph's son. Who do you believe Jesus is? Who do you believe that Jesus Christ is? Listen, I know that most of us say we're Christians, most of us have grown up in Christian homes. If you, if you haven't, you're the exception in the Bible belt. You're becoming less and less of an exception. But a lot of us profess to be Christians, but no one's ever asked you, tell me, who do you think Jesus is? You say you're a Christian, you show up at church, you hang out with other Christians. But what I want to know tonight, who do you think Jesus is? Do you think He's this western, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, hippie guy who is all about tolerance and love. And just wants to give everyone a warm fuzzy hug. Because we're all accepted. It doesn't matter what you believe. He's just a nice hippie guy. Is that what you believe about Jesus? Maybe. Maybe some of you believe that Jesus is just a figment of our Christian imagination. And, and you doubt whether the, record, the historical records are true. And you think. Man this, this couldn't possibly be true. And so you've struggled with. I don't even know if He's real. And then sadly some of you, and I've been through this, think that Jesus is the accountant with the little hat, you know, that weird little green clear hat that has his clipboard and, and uh and just checks off your your tally for each day where man Golly, Tyler did pretty good today. He had more good than bad. And he's just he's just keeping a tally of all the good works I'm doing. And he's kind of an accountant that at the end, when he judges me, he's going to see how much good outweighs the bad. And if there's more good than bad, then, hey, welcome into my kingdom. What do you believe about Jesus? I think it's so important. Is he just a nice guy to you that's here to kind of help you fulfill your own personal dreams and wants and, and you call on him when things get tough and, and you need that promotion or you need that good grade in school or you need that supernatural help with the final because you didn't study and you think, Jesus, I need you now. Uh, work a miracle. I don't believe in miracles, but I need one right now and you're the divine Santa Claus. I need it, Okay. Some of you think that, and some of us have gone through these seasons, but let me tell you real quick who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. He is He is both God and man in one person, and He came to this earth to set captives free. From bondage to sin, from bondage to brokenness, and from bondage to the things that have happened to you in the past, Jesus has come to offer life because He has the power to give you life. And He has the power to forgive you of your sins. And He has the power to make you a new creation so you're not defined by who you were in the past or what's happened to you in the past. You're defined by who He says you are. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who reigns over all the universe. Who is the creator of all things. That's my daughter, by the way, so I'm going to give her a pass on that. Jesus is the Messiah, guys. And I'm telling you, I can't speak for you, but I know what he's done in my life. In the moment I I began to see Him for who He truly was and put my trust and faith in Him and acknowledge Him as my Savior and my Lord is the moment that my life began to change from the inside out. And it doesn't mean I'm perfect, but it means that I am moving towards a more Christ-like life by His grace. Grace shows up in unexpected places. And grace showed up in this unexpected place of a carpenter named Jesus. Here's what I want you to remember. God's grace... Has shown up in the person of Jesus Christ. and what you believe about him. Makes all the difference in the world. I don't care what you profess about Christianity. I don't care how long you've been in the church. I don't care how many times you've read your Bible. I don't care how much Bible knowledge you have. I don't care if you won Bible memory competitions when you were a kid in Sunday school. I don't care if you're the nicest person on earth. What you believe about who Jesus is and what he came to do will make all the difference in the world. But sometimes we don't like to believe who he is because it's come in such an unexpected place. A Jewish man in the first century... That's the Savior of the world? Absolutely. He's the Savior of me. I've, ex- I've seen it. I've experienced it. So Jesus pretty much tells his hometown people who knew him really well, guess what? I'm the Messiah. What did they think about that? They thought, wait a minute, you're Joseph's son. And in verse 23, we'll pick back up. He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. So he knew what they were thinking. Physician, heal yourself What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Essentially saying, hey, if that's really who you are, if those things are true in Galilee, we need to see it for ourselves before we're going to believe. So you owe it to us to do it here, and then we'll start believing who you are. And Jesus says he marveled at their unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. So who do you believe that Jesus is? And so what he did was he told two stories from the Old Testament. It's why it's so important that we as Christians begin to learn and understand the Old Testament because it's constantly being quoted in the New Testament. And until you understand that, it's going to be hard to understand the New Testament. But he uses two examples to kind of rebuke the the people from Nazareth. In verse 24 he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. What he's referring to, guys, is a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 17. You can go check it out on your own time. I don't want to walk through the whole thing. But in summary, Elijah was a prophet during a massive drought in Israel and in surrounding countries. And you would think that God would send his prophet to to bring restoration and healing to the people of Israel. But God actually sent Elijah to a person from Sidon. Not an Israelite, but a Gentile. Someone who was outside of the people of God. And God sent Elijah there. And what Elijah did was he provided food for this family and this widow when they didn't have any food. And I won't go into the details, but essentially he worked a miracle with this family and, and provided for them because they trusted in what Elijah said and he came through for them and they weren't Israelites. And then he tells another situation from the Old Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says this. He says... uh and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. So there was this disease of leprosy going around to all the people of Israel and to surrounding countries. And where did God send Elisha? He says, and none of them was cleansed in Israel. But only Naaman the Syrian, who was a worker in the government in Syria. And it tells the whole, it's a cool story, check it out. But he essentially, Elisha, does this miraculous healing of Naaman and Sets him free from this disease of leprosy. Now why do you think Jesus told that story? Two situations in the Old Testament of two prophets not going to the people of God, but going to the outer people, the people who weren't in the group, to perform his healings. He told that story because he was making a point that you guys think you're entitled to the work of God, but you don't believe, and so God's taking his work elsewhere. God's taking his work to the Gentiles. Guess what? That's good news for everyone in this room who follows Christ. Because if God didn't do that, this would be an Israelite faith. But God has taken this good news of, of being set free from sin and oppression and slavery. And he's offered it to all mankind. And so he tells the Nazarenes that. And do you think they're pretty pumped up about that? Do you think they're excited about the fact that God is pretty much not going to perform miracles there but send them elsewhere? Uh, let's find out. It says, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. So a minute ago, they were like, man, this guy's awesome. This is cool. And now they're filled with wrath because his good news and blessing is going to other people. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they can throw him down the cliff. Think about that. Jesus grew up in their town. Hometown boy. Carpenter. Godly, perfect man. And they wanted to kill him and throw him off the cliff. But, but somehow, we don't know exactly if it was a mir- miraculous event, but somehow he passed through their midst and he went away. They tried to kill him. Jesus is trying to get them to understand, this is who I am. These prophecies in the Old Testament are about me. I'm the one who came to save the world. And you guys don't believe. And because of that, I'm going to take my message to people who will believe. And so I'm going to take my message to the oppressed, to the poor, to the weak. To the blind, they were offended by that. But I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, God loves to take his message of grace and forgiveness and and a release from bondage to sin to those who are needy and desperate for it. I love the fact that we're partnering with World Relief. I love the fact that we have some people in our ministry that are moving into Como, which is a part of town that is impoverished, and there's kids that are not being educated and not being mentored. We've got people in our congregation, some girls that are thinking about moving into Como to bless them and to bring the good news of the gospel to people who are oppressed and hurting and blind to the truth. I love that we're focusing on that. And we see these refugees all over the world, they need the truth. And the ironic thing is, those are the people who are most ripe for the truth. So I want to ask you this, and then we'll kind of close up, but who do you think God's grace is for? Who do you think the gospel is really for? Maybe you've never been asked that question, but who's excluded from the gospel message? In one sense, nobody. We've been called as disciples to share the gospel with everyone in the world. To bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. But in another sense, the only people who are um, not included in this gospel message are those that are self-righteous. And don't think they have a need for a physician, a healer, a savior. Until you come to the place of brokenness. Until you recognize your sin and your desperate need of of forgiveness for sin and a savior. You're not going to reach out to Jesus and accept His forgiveness and see Him for who He really is. Listen, that is good news for me because I was at a place of desperation when I was about 19, 20 years old. At the bottom. And the funny thing is, that was the perfect time for me to see the gospel for what it was. And that was the perfect time for God's grace to come and invade my life. Because, you know, God's grace shows up in the most unexpected places. And I think there's some of you in here who maybe have accepted Christ when you were a kid as your savior and you're kind of doing your own thing. But you really don't think you need God's forgiveness now. You kind of think you've got it all together and you think that, man, I'm doing my own thing and I'm cool. And you have no idea your desperate need for a savior on a daily basis. And man, I want you to turn away from that mentality because God wants to come and bring you hope and salvation. Who do you think God's grace is for? He says here in this Isaiah passage, The Spirit of God is upon me to bring good news to who? To the poor. Not just poor physically, although they're very ripe for the good news, but also poor spiritually. He says He came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Are you enslaved to sin right now? Is there a sin in your life that you just think, There is no way on earth I could ever break free from? whether it's pornography whether it's addiction whether it's it's you know you're obsessed with another girl or another boy or you're enslaved to the approval of man and you think there is no way I can break free from this slavery but I'm here to tell you Jesus wants to set you free from whatever that is he came to set captives free he came to set liberty to those who are oppressed that's the good news of the gospel guys That's the thing that when I finally heard that and my ears were open and my eyes were open that changed my life and I could could go to numerous of you and you would say the same thing. God's grace shows up in unexpected places. I would have bet my life that God's grace was going to show up to me in Dallas. I really would have. I would have said this obviously is the place that God wants me to be. I want to be married I want to start a family. What a great ministry to work with singles in the heart of Dallas. This has got to be where God wants me to be. And He sent me to Natchitoches, Louisiana. And yet, I got to do ministry with young adults and college students. And I found a wife who I love and have started a family with. And I couldn't believe it, but God's grace shows up where you think it would show up the least. I was dead wrong. So God's grace has shown up in this carpenter named Jesus. And Luke is going to emphasize over and over again that Jesus is the one that we need to be looking for. And Jesus is the one who is offering this good news to the ones who think they never could deserve it. So if, if you don't think you deserve the grace of God, then you are the one that the grace of God is for. If you think he owes you something and that you're entitled to something, you're not there yet. And so Ben's going to get up in a little bit after we worship and the worship team can come on and, and, and head up here. Um, but probably Ben's going to talk about the fact that if you're broken and messed up and you think, Tyler, okay, great story, but do you understand what I've done or what's been done to me? I got to be the one that's exempt we believe we are on the same page that, no, you're actually the one that is the perfect candidate for God to come in and do a radical change in your life. And so my hope for you tonight is that you will hear this good news of the gospel and that you will believe and trust in Jesus, not as some nice guy, but as the king of kings And Lord of Lords and my promise to you that I would bank my life on is that whatever you're struggling with, whatever baggage you have, he's going to go in there with his scalpel and he's going to cut that out and he's going to change you and he's going to renovate you from the inside out and you will be a new creation with new hopes and new dreams in your life. Let's pray together. Father God, this is good news this is, this is actually the best news that humanity has ever heard. That we're not stuck in our sin, in our depravity. But that you have invaded this sinful earth through your son Jesus Christ. And you've offered hope and salvation and restoration. My prayer tonight is that there are four or five individuals in this room who this message is speaking to. And for years they've thought, I'm too messed up. I'm too much of an outcast. I'm too different. I'm too sinful. I'm too, it's too late. And I'm here to say it's not. My prayer is that those four or five people will respond in faith that Jesus, you are who you say you are. And I pray that you would come into their life and change it. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.